All right. Welcome to episode 51 of the Two Touch Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Dalglish. And as always, I'm joined by Tim Bones Bouts. This is a sad episode because it marks the end of the Premier League season. It was a wild season. And the best way to finish it up is to go with a recap. So pretty much every episode that you listen to, we typically do a match review on our Monday's episodes, but we're going to tweak it this this time. We're, we're making it more about, we usually end the episode with a, a segment of a table review where Bones does an excellent job of ripping through the uh, notable movement in the table to give you a high level picture, but we're going to expand that for this episode and make this the table review, the end of season table review special. Yep. Just, just thought of the name. It's perfect. So we're going to go ahead call it that. And we're going to probably start at the bottom of the table and move our way up, give a little feedback on, you know, where the team's finished relative to what the expectations were, at least from us throughout the season, and um, talk a little bit about how their, their final match week ended up. Before we get into that, I want to check in on my co-host, Tim. You missed the last episode, but for good reason. I also hinted that you might have some news for the listeners. Um, oh. So I'm putting you on the spot, so you can't not mention it now. So you have to mention it. What's going on in your life? Well, thanks for doing that, Trev. Uh, I, great news. Very excited to say that my girlfriend and I are now engaged. She's now my fiance. Very strange to wrap my head around starting to use that. It's, it's, it's really weird. Do you, going from do you, one day saying girlfriend, the next, oh, she's my fiance. It's, it's awesome, but it, it takes a little time to wrap the head around. Fiance is a really hard word to say, too. Fiance. But Do you like, think that's how Laurent Koscielny says it or Mbappe says it? Yeah, that's probably exactly how they say it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. probably. It, it just seems like such a more difficult word to – not only do you have to adjust from saying one word to reference someone that you've used every day for the last, you know, however many years you've been together. How long have you guys been together? Three years. Three years. So then you have to adjust – for that, but then also you have to start using a significantly more difficult word. Like adjusting yeah. from fiance to, to wife is easy. Wife's one syllable, right? Wife. Yep. Boom. True. Easy. Fiance is like, come on. I wish there was <laughs> like really a short version. No. Yeah. It's just my, then, my hot take. You know, separately um, and definitely secondarily, I graduated this past weekend from, uh, from business school. Jeez. That was pretty big. I also hit the dirty 30 recently. So, you know, the knees are aching even more every morning. But above all, I'm very excited for for my fiance and I to, you know, get hitched in the in the near future. And your dog ate a massive chew toy. Oh yeah. That was that was a good time. He ate a 10-inch long uh furry squeaky toy that required surgery to get out of him the attending surgeon said it was one of the largest things he's ever had to extract from an animal which you know it's impressive <laughs> but it was like jesus can we not do this again let's let's it was a dog toy people get your mind out of the gutter <laughs> zing <laughs> uh all right so big news for bones not no big news for me I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, Bones is holding it down for us, progressing in life. Okay. So without further ado, let's get into the table review. Let's start with the bottom. I think we can, uh, skip over some of them. It's been kind of a written off thing for a while, but Sheff Sheffield United finished in 20th and West Brom finished in 19th. They've been relegated for quite a few weeks now, so there's not really much to report here. All right. Moving on to 18th place. We got Fulham, and I don't think there's a lot to say about them either. They've, they've been officially relegated for, I think, at least two weeks now. But I think it's worth giving them a little bit of a spotlight because this, this podcast kind of evolved into being a, a Fulham supporters uh, podcast at times. We, uh, we just felt that although they basically were in the relegation zone the entire season, watching their games suggested that they could maybe 
get out of relegation. They at times they looked like a competent football team, unlike let's say Arsenal or Newcastle. But they just couldn't get the goals, couldn't get the firepower to support uh, their organization. I guess you could say so. It's a sad one. But Fulham moves down, and uh, those are the three relegated. Any any notes on those three for you, Bones? Yeah, just on Fulham because I'm sure you think that I'm the biggest Fulham fan in in uh, in the U.S. But it is unfortunate that they're moving down. As we've talked about, they play really attractive football. With that said, it generally what happens when a team moves down, if the manager hasn't been sacked at this point in the season already, they generally leave prior to the championship season starting. I hope that Scott Paca gets another shot to get them up and, and be successful. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it, it does seem like the, the squad was banding, banding together around him. So I hope to see him back in the Premier League. I thought he did a good job. I think he, he was unlucky. The, the squad was unlucky at times, whether it was VAR related or, or you know, otherwise. But I do think that they'll be, be up, automatically up next year. Okay, let's keep moving up the ladder. We got next up Burnley in 17th, Brighton in 16th, and I don't really have much to say about this. They were kind of Man. unimpressive for the whole season anyways. Um, you know, Burnley did have some fun upset wins. I believe they were the first ones to defeat Liverpool at Anfield in over, you know, some like three to four years, and then it became – floodgates after that for Anfield and being the easiest place to go to and get some points. So credit to Burnley for that, but I think that's pretty much the only thing writing home uh, on their season. And then Brighton, you know, Brighton was a little bit pesky, but I think uh, 16th and 17th for them respectively makes sense. Next up 15th, we got Southampton and Southampton's worth noting because Bones, at what point, where were they in the table? I think they were third. At one point, they were third in the table. Probably, you know, it was, it was pretty early in the season, probably like eight games in or whatever, and that's when everyone likes to overreact. You know, I think at the time they were in third. I think something like Manchester City was in 10th. So that's, that's pretty interesting. But anyways, Southampton came out of the gates flying, had – what looked like going to be a fantastic season. I don't think even when they were in the top four, I don't think anyone was really expecting them to finish top four, but you thought maybe they could fight for a Europa league spot. I think that was, I think you were the most optimistic about that too. Oh, oh okay. Sure. Whatever. Oh, am I, am I embellishing again or uh, no, I think you're right. But, uh, you know what? They, they used all their magic on a single match Wait, was it? Am I am I not getting this right? Maybe it was Southampton that beat Liverpool at Anfield to break the streak. I can't remember. So many teams beat. Yeah, that was right Anfield. because remember uh, the the manager, what's his name, started crying on the touchline. Yeah, Hassan Hoodle. Well, anyways, yeah. Southampton. Sometime I think it was around December, beat Liverpool. Fell on the ground crying, the manager, and then they basically didn't win a game ever since. And that was two-thirds of the season, and that's why they went from third all the way down to 15th. Tough, tough times for Southampton. Next up, 14th, we got Crystal Palace. It's a pretty Crystal palace spot for them. Yep. 13th, we got Wolves. Bones, tell us about Wolves. Well, it's sad to say, but Nuno, Nuno Espirito Santos is leaving. Uh, it was his final match the other day, and you know, he got the farewell that he deserved from, did, from the supporters now that supporters why, are, are able why, to be in the stands. Why did he deserve that farewell? Why don't you give a little uh, context there? So he's been with the club for four years. In his first year, when they were in the championship, he got them up into the Premier League, and then his first and or his first and second years in the Premier League, those would have been his third, uh, second and third years with the club, he got them to European football. And for a squad that – it was kind of a, a motley crew of Portuguese players who, you know, some were, were well-known, whether it was Moutinho or, or Rui Patricio, 
it was a lot of players that, you know, were younger or, or, you know, kind of bursting onto the scene, but you were really surprised by how they performed against top tier premier league talent and premier league squads. They, they were almost a a feel good story, a, a team that you couldn't hate. And this year they just didn't have the magic. And we've been talking a lot about how, um, maybe losing Diago Jota, even though he didn't really play last year for Wolves, that may have been kind of the catalyst. There had been injury issues, but by and large, it was it was they just couldn't figure out how to score. And it, it's sad to see him go. It's sad to see Wolves where they are. But you know, they live to fight another day. They're still in the Premier League. They are bringing a, in a new Portuguese manager. Go figure. Yeah, and. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next year when they recover. For sure. And uh, one thing I will uh, push back on is I don't think it was so much the Jota move that impacted their – I mean, he obviously would have been nice to have this year given their their inability to score. But it was really when uh, their star striker, Raul Limenez, he went down with that horrible head injury uh, against, an Ar- against Arsenal early in the season. I think it was – Jimenez and David Luiz collided and it resulted in Jimenez with a fractured skull. He hasn't played since, but the good news is that uh, he's is expected to be ready by the start of next season. So that's great. Cause it was a nasty head injury. Um, but yeah, wolves, hopefully they can bounce back next year with a new manager. Okay. Moving on. We got 12th. We're almost in the top 10 where things get a little bit more spicy, but uh, we were initially just going to pass over this team uh, when we were doing our like pre-show prep, but I, I think I need to stop and take a second to recognize the chaotic season that this team had. So we're talking Newcastle United finished in 12th. At times this season, I would say two-thirds of the season, they looked, outside of Sheffield United, the worst team in the Premier League. Just no idea there's no organization there is no there's no strategy no nothing to their game it was just chaos and the reason they man, managed to get up into 12th is because they do happen to have two established um at a minimum respectable respectable but also i would say borderline star players in callum wilson he's a striker and then say maximum who they kind of can play him anywhere, but he's a winger striker. And those guys are legitimate studs. They're grown men that pretty much single-handedly, I guess double-handedly, carried Newcastle from the brink of relegation. I mean, it was it was only a few match weeks ago we were talking about Newcastle being at risk to get relegated, and somehow they finished in 12th. And it was big, big time due to those two guys getting healthy, but also Newcastle made the – loan signing of the season well second best loan signing of the season behind jesse lingard but uh with joe willick who i think finished the season with scoring in seven consecutive games so big time big goals a lot of them were late either equalizers or winners and newcastle although just a dumpster fire was just so much fun to watch towards the end of the season okay that's enough of Newcastle talk. Let's move on to Aston Villa, who also, I think, had a very interesting season, had a very promising start, sort of a, last year, you know, on the final day, managed to avoid relegation. So relatively low expectations for them this year. They made some savvy signings in the offseason. They were able to keep Jack Grealish, despite plenty of interest from other English clubs. And they came out of the gates flying and they, they really announced themselves with a 7-2 win over reigning champs Liverpool. So I think probably rational, reasonable people kept their expectations in check. And if you were just, if you were like me, I, I got very excited for them very quickly and thought, oh my God, like, Here's Europa League locked up. Maybe they can push for a top four. How cool would that be? Like it's Aston Villa. They're they're one of the most historic clubs in in the English game, and uh, having them finish top four would have been pretty neat. But they're the royal family's favorite team as well. 
Ooh, that's a fun fact. Yeah, you're welcome. But I, I appreciate that you called yourself out on, on being overly optimistic. Well, yeah, it's easy for me when, when they got Jack Grealish on the team. <laughs> My boy. Uh, and that's actually a good segue into what happened to them, right? Because halfway through the season, definitely a third of, way through, a third of the way through the season, I think a lot of people had high expectations for them. They were playing very well. Ollie Watkins, their striker who came up from the championship the year before, adjusted very quickly to the Premier League and was scoring, I think, a goal every other game. And it just seemed like it could work. But the last person they could afford an injury to, it happened. Jack Grealish got injured, and he was out for – months um and that really set them back and they although they had some good good results during that time ultimately i mean you take probably the third best midfielder in the in the premier league you take him out you you remove him from your squad you know you're gonna you're gonna take a few steps back so that's tough but overall i think they should be pretty pretty happy with the season you know obviously depending on how you adjusted your expectations through the season, just look at where they got to compared to last year. Last year, literally the last day, they survived relegation. This year, relegation was never a concern. They finished in 11th. If a couple things went their way, if Grealish didn't get hurt for so long or didn't miss any time, you know, you're talking pushing for Europa League. So I think uh, Villa fans will be very happy with the season. Yeah, and I don't think that you... I don't know. You kind of change your tune earlier in the season, but with Ross Barkley also going down for a significant amount of time, that was another weapon that they were without for yep. quite some time. He came and, up flying you know, in to start the season too. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And, and so I, you know, I, you can't speculate or, you know, we're great at speculating. We're not so great at being right about our speculations, but you know, I don't know if it, they were going to be a top four team, but they, they certainly would have been, a much more reasonable lock for your Europa league spot. Um, and it's tough because with Ross Barkley, who knows what his future holds in store. He's going back to Chelsea. He was on loan this, this um, past season Villa. I feel like we'll probably want him back. I don't know if they're, they're going to be able to splash the money that Chelsea will most likely hold out for. Um, although Chelsea does need to shed a lot of, a lot of players. So, you know, it's possible they can get him for a cut rate. Yeah, he did have a dip. Even when he came back healthy towards the end of the season, he, he was significantly less productive. So, uh, I don't know. They might be able to get a bargain for him. Okay. Let's move on. Aston Villa, congratulations on a great season. Next up, we got Everton. Everton finishing 10th. I kind of feel like a lot of what I could have just – what I just said about Aston Villa as far as expectations through the season could be applied to Everton. I'm pretty – me in my head at, at always – at any point, I kind of thought that they would be very much in the Europa League talk, and ultimately they finished 10th, ran out of gas. But another team that came out to start the season in Fuego, very – I mean, they have a strong starting lineup. You remove all injuries and you just look at across the board, I mean – they're a Europa League quality team. Mm-hmm. Um, they they invested heavily in their mid, midfield to go into the season, bringing in James, Decore, and Allen. And it seemed like, you know, Enchilotti was just working wonders there. But injuries definitely hit them hard. And uh, in a season that was just – I think this is the theme of the season was how, how did you manage injuries? And because a lot of the movement of this table happened towards the, like the last third of the season. And, you know, were you set up to handle injuries? Were you able to avoid injuries in a season where there was just a game every three days pretty much? And um, a lot of these teams weren't set up to handle them as well as others. And, and it kind of is reflected in this table. Everton, I think, is one of them. Beast of a starting eleven. And then they don't have anyone that can fill in out for that start, anyone outside of that starting 11. And they had a significant amount of their starting 11 get injured. So I think that's kind of the, the rhyme and reason to why they finished in 10th. Yeah. And I, I think that our most used phrase for this team, or at least mine was their classic Jekyll and Hyde. You don't know what Everton's going to show up. And that's largely because of, 
because of injuries, but when they were full strength, particularly at the end of the year, they had just been run ragged that, you know, they just didn't have the, the legs to do it anymore. And so you didn't know what Everton, Everton squad was going to show up. With that said, through the injuries, one of the feel-good stories, I think, and I could be wrong, Everton fans will probably be mad at me, but Carlo Ancelotti had kind of said Gilfie Sigurdsson is a bit surplus to requirements. Sigurdsson has been a, a very productive Premier League player for a number of years. Through the injuries, he was reintegrated into the starting eleven, and he's performed well. He was one of the better performers down the, down the stretch for Everton. So I, I think that's kind of the feel-good story that – they were able to, you know, uh, maybe change some perceptions and um, maintain a strong, strong club. You know, there's still some dead weight that they probably need to shed um, from previous regimes. But, you know, by and large, they're starting to build a, a sneakily good, at least 11, if not, you know, 13 or so. Right. Yeah, it'll be huge to see what they do this coming summer. How can they... I mean, they obviously invested in their squad last year and, and they need to keep doing that because, you know, as we highlighted there, there's still a lot missing, but although the table doesn't reflect it that much, there, there's definitely progress there because, um, you know, for two thirds of the season, they could go toe to toe with anybody and um, it just kind of faded towards the end here. All right. Next up, ninth place. We're moving well into the top 10. This team deserves a ton of credit. I think probably the most credit of anyone. I'm looking through the table right now. Yeah, I, I think I think this team deserves the most credit for this season, besides maybe the winners, but, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. Leeds United finishing ninth. First season in the Premier League in over 120 years. And they finished in the top 10. That is ridiculous. That, I don't think it will go overlooked because I think people love hyping up Leeds so much because of Bielsa, their manager. And so, you know, they'll, they'll probably get the proper credit they deserve. But it's pretty unbelievable. I, they are the most chaotic team I've ever witnessed. They, it's stereotypical to classify them this, but they just run and run and run and run and they're full speed end-to-end all the time. They concede a million goals, but they also score a million goals, it seems like. And at the minimum, they were one of the most exciting teams to watch. That match, whatever they were a part of, was always going to be a good one. And, you know, one of my favorites was against Manchester United, 6-2. Obviously, I'm excited because I'm a Manchester United fan, but also that game was just bonkers. And, you know, they could have easily scored four in that. And... um just super exciting. And one thing I thought was really interesting was that you, given their style of play and what they're kind of lazily labeled as is just these runners, uh, you know, they run more than any other team, that how can they last the full season? They're, there's got to be a drop-off towards the end of the season. But they finished the season stronger than pretty much any other team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it made that significant push to go from, like, I think they were hovering around 11 and 12, and they finished ninth. And it's just, they were banging out win after win after win. It's pretty impressive, but yeah. um, Congratulations to to Leeds on a a fantastic first season in the Premier League. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, it's kind of a testament to the season that they did have that even at this point, there's a number of Leeds players that are making national teams for the upcoming Euros. Uh, Robin Koch, of Germany made this the German squad. Um, uh, Diego Urente of Spain made Luis Enrique's kind of strange squad. But then, I, honestly, I wouldn't be all that surprised if Patrick Bamford maybe makes a surprise appearance in the English squad. I mean, he's scored 17 goals this season. It's been by far. Leads his best offensive creator. Calvin Phillips is another guy that may sneak onto the the English squad. I mean, I, I was very bearish about Leeds to start the season. I I just thought, you know, they're spending a lot of money, but there's no way that a team coming from the championship can just move up the table. I should have known from what Wolves had done the year before 
or the two years before, but I didn't have any faith in them. And they proved me wrong. I mean, by a long shot. Bamford is an interesting case. I mean, I think right now for England, the backup striker to Kane is Calvert-Lewin. And not necessarily. I would say if you're doing a swap like for like, like a true number nine, they could do that. They could easily do a false nine setup where they wouldn't need that true number nine. Um, But if they were, like you could argue that Bamford is just as good, if not better, than Calvert-Lewin. It's interesting it's an interesting point. I, I kind of wish, I ho- kind of hope he does get the call up and we do get to see him play because it'd be really interesting to see Bamford perform in a non Bielsa system because yeah, it, there's just nothing like the Bielsa system. Um, yeah. And it'll also be interesting to see for Leeds. So, you know, they finished ninth, but you'd expect that they need, they need to invest in the squad, specifically starters to, take the next step to really push for European tournaments. And like, can you get top quality players to invest in or, or to agree to commit to the like brutal training that they apparently go through and, and really buy into the vision that the manager has? I'd argue that's a tough, uh, I'd argue that's a tough sell, but maybe I'm wrong. All right. So, it's funny that it's all about perspective and expectations. We're going from a team talking about a massively successful season finishing ninth to the eighth place team having a dreadful season. We're talking Arsenal. Arsenal finish eighth. And honestly, if your expectations are, are with reality, this is a successful season because yeah. it was it was deep into the season that we were talking about Arsenal – could get relegated. No one actually thought they would. There's just too much quality there, but uh, at least compared to the relegated teams, but they were flirting with that, that, you know, 15, 16, 17th spot for far too long. I mean, they were objectively bad. So bad, so bad. And it was because Arteta insisted on playing the likes of William and uh, Pepe and, David Luiz. David Luiz. Chaka. It's just, ugh, it's gross. Fortunately for him, a lot of those players got hurt and forced his hand, and he had to start playing Smith Rowe. They got Odegaard on loan, and they played Saka more often. And so that that's the silver lining to Arsenal season is, is that they got to see these youngsters play and realize that, they're legit. Like Saka is going, they need to, they need to make him happy and hold on to him for the rest of his career, or at least do their best. Cause he's, he's a future star and he's a true Arsenal player. And then you got Smith Rowe, who I don't know if he's showing any potential to be a true superstar, but he can be a very good, very good starter for Arsenal for a very long time. And he has the, the work ethic and work rate that you kind of just need those, those players that will do the dirty work not saying that he's not technically capable of doing, you know, the the pretty side of things, but you just want someone that will sacrifice everything for the club. And he kind of seems like he has that attitude and, and same with, with Sokka. And I mean, even the way Odegaard kind of took to Arsenal because Arsenal is a club that actually gave him a chance. I'm like his, his parent company, Real Madrid, you have those three young players and then you throw in, Martinelli potentially potentially and you got four players with high ceilings that are young and that's the foundation you need to build around so yeah to me that's kind of the only silver lining really from the season for Arsenal but it's something to be happy about yeah I I agree that Arsenal fans should be happy about the season I mean it it was not pretty to watch but eighth is a godsend for for where they were um, to to start the season for the majority of the season. I will I I I think that we would be remiss if we didn't mention that. Yes, Arteta was leaning on Pepe at the beginning of the season, and he was not good. He has turned it around significantly in the the second half of the season. I mean, I think he's he's scored in four straight Premier League matches, and he he turned out double digit goals. For, for the season, 
um, which he hadn't done um, in his first campaign for, for Arsenal. So hopefully that means that he's actually living up to the hype um, separately. It's going to be really interesting to watch what happens with the Odegaard saga over the, over the summer. I, it's very unclear what Real Madrid's going to want to do. It's, it's known that they need to sell a, a bunch of players due to financial constraints. And it, it may be partially due to what happened with the Super League. But separately, you know, they've got a lot of players that they need spots for, they need to find spots for. Odegaard is one where he's a great talent, but he's never been given a chance at Real Madrid. I don't know if that's a Zidane thing or if it, you know, is, is coming from the higher-ups, but I think it would be best for him to move on. And I think Arsenal, based on how he played this year or the second half of the year, is a really good landing spot. And then, you know, another player that we'll talk about in just a few moments is Gareth Bale. He says that he's already decided what he's going to do and just isn't going to say it yet. But, you know, back to Arsenal, I think that Odegaard would strengthen the squad and and be a very good squad player for the coming years. I I actually, during our our recap or or prep for, for this, I read out a stat that I woke up to yesterday um, it was posted by ESPN FC, and this is shocking. You know, Arsenal had a great season for where they came from, or great second half of the season. They're lucky to be in eighth, given how competitive it was, you know, in the top half of the table. But ESPN FC reported Arsenal won't be playing in Europe next season for the first time in 25 years. They qualified for Europe in each of Arsene Wenger's 22 years at the club. And since then, obviously, it's it's been – a dumpster fire. I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I, I have the, the right terminology to place on what it's been like, but it's been tough. And so, you know, hopefully that they can, they can improve on an eighth place finish this year because a, a strong arsenal just makes for a strong premier league. Okay. Moving on. We've got another team. Similarly, just, dumpster fiery based on expectations at one point this season this team was gonna win the league okay well (laughs) people were saying it you know we can't be right all the time you know trev yeah well number seven we got tottenham hotspur you know what i'm not gonna go into i'm not gonna it's a simple explanation of what happened here jose Mourinho happened here you had a jose Mourinho season it used to happen on like the second or third season of his stint, but he's just degrading so quickly that it's now he's just a bad manager. First season, it's really his first full season. He lasted probably one total season, just absolute garbage. Uh, Tottenham, it's too bad. It was it set you back, right? Tottenham's been a pretty consistent team in the last decade under Poch. They were almost always in the top four, if not just outside. <laughs> they fire Botch, bring in Mourinho. And it's actually shocking that they finished seventh. I thought it would have been worse. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the summary of the season for Tottenham. They did beat Manchester United 6-1. Yeah, that's right. 6-1? Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So, hey, you got that. And you, and you finished above Arsenal. So, good job. Anything you'd like to say? Just like to harp on that Gareth Bale point again. I, I do think that he, you know, under Mourinho, there's a lot of politicking. I think he wasn't getting the game time that he probably deserved. He starts playing and he starts playing very well. I feel like he should move back to Tottenham on a full. I think that would benefit Real Madrid, Gareth Bale and Tottenham. I think that he was fantastic down the stretch. I think he only played in 20 Premier League matches, but I think he had 11 goals and he set up a bunch of others. You need that other player to help lighten the load on, on Sone. And then, you know, if Kane stays, you need that other player to, to be a threat, to give him the ability to do what Harry Kane does rather than just having an entire defense collapse on Harry Kane. With that said, Harry Kane would still won the golden boot for the Premier League, shockingly, when every every defense knew exactly who who was 
who was relied upon and needed to score game in and game out in order for Tottenham to get any results. He's just a beast, but from his comments last week, it sounds like he's going to try to force a move. So we'll, that's going to be one of the, the ma- major ongoing sagas of the summer. So hold on tight, kids. Well, I just hope he leaves the Premier League. If he goes anywhere, I just want him to go to PSG. Unless he goes to United. No, I don't. Like, that wouldn't even be smart for United. I'm not going to go down that tangent, but if we're going to spend right. $100 million plus on a single player, that means we're not going to do much else with the, other, the rest of the squad. And we have more than one hole to fill. Um, oh, I, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're well-versed. Uh, okay, so... We just went through we, we, we just went through an interesting st- stretch where we had a very positive season in Leeds and then two very shitty, underwhelming, underachieving seasons for Arsenal and Tottenham. So let's, let's get back on a feel-good. We're talking sixth place. We got West Ham United. Dear Lord, what an awesome season for the Hammers. Island of Misfit Toys, we've talked about it all year. One of their highest scoring players is some guy that came from Slavia Prague. Uh, they got a loan signing of Jesse Lingard who couldn't even sniff the squad at Manchester United. They got a right winger who was mediocre in the championship and all of a sudden is like pretty solid in the Premier League. Um, just just a, a fun group of guys, you know, fun guys. And they, I mean, shocked the league. I think, okay, I take it back. I was saying Leeds had probably the best season outside of obviously the winner. Um, but I think, I think West Ham had the best season this year, even though we had hopes for them finishing top four or I did. You definitely did. I, I did definitely not. did. You didn't because that meant Chelsea probably wasn't going to make it, but yeah, I think even finishing six is fucking awesome. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I think one person or, you know, one aspect of the team that you fail to hit on is, You've got David Moyes, who it has since since getting chased out of he couldn't have been uh, he couldn't have gotten chased out of United quicker. Then falls with I, I think he was in Spain for mm-hmm. two months or something like that. Then he lands with Sunderland, they get relegated. Lands with West Ham, they're West Ham the first time, and they're fighting relegation. He leaves, comes back two years later, and his first full season, I believe he, it's a freaking knockout. I don't, I mean that that's a wild career trajectory that I don't think that I can, I can fully comprehend or explain. Yeah. I mean this, this performance that Moyes put in, put in for, for West Ham this season was a little bit more. It's more in line with his success at Everton. He was a longtime mm-hmm. Everton manager before, going to Manchester United and, and he, I think overachieved at Everton or, I mean, it felt like overachieving, but it's, it's probably rightful for, for his ability. He's, he's a, he's a legitimate manager. He made some Manchester United was too big for him. He made some very stupid decisions in the transfer market. Um, it's hard to make good decisions when you have a, a little bit more flexibility, I think, especially for someone who was on a tight budget at Everton. But anyways, Unbelievable job. And then we also failed to mention the best player on the team, Declan Rice, just taking another massive step in his progress as a young player. And he's, he's the best player on that team. And it's clear that he's the, he was pretty much the captain for the team, but it was unofficial captain for a lot of it because Mark Noble's still on the team. And, you know, he is, he is the, he is West Ham, but Declan Rice, as long as he's there going forward, he will be the captain. And, um, honestly, I think the difference between them finishing in the top four and them them finishing in the the finishing in six was the Declan Rice injury. Um, that's when they really started to stumble. Uh, I think he was out for a month and a half, maybe two months after a, an injury with England. So pretty tough, but come on, sixth place, pretty pretty fantastic. One point off of fifth place, two points off of the top four. I mean, that's nuts. Just good for them. A fun, fun group, fun group. 
again, man, it's so funny, these expectations on these teams, right? We went Leeds, awesome season. Arsenal, Tottenham, shitty season. West Ham, sixth place, awesome season. Now we're at Leicester at fifth, and I will go and say this was a shitty season for them. Oh, yeah. Because I would say shitty second half of the season. They spent more days in the top four than any other club this season, but they finished fifth. How ridiculous is that? Yeah. And essentially on the final day, moving out of the top four, they, they had it in their hands going into the final week. I believe they were in fifth place, but I think about a third of the way through the game. I can't remember the exact times Chelsea fell behind to Aston Villa and Leicester went up on Tottenham. And then Tottenham tied, and then Leicester went up again, I think. So they were up 2-1. Chelsea went down 2-0. So now Leicester has everything in their hands. Their destiny is in their hands. Liverpool's winning, so Liverpool's moving to the top four. Leicester just needed to hold on to a win against Tottenham. The Tottenham team we just shat on for a good five minutes. And Leicester managed to lose 4-2. Gareth Bale came on in like the 60th minute, scores two goals to sink Leicester, or at least move them to Europa League. And it's the second time in two years that on the final day of the season, they miss out on the top four. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, that is an epic collapse. And you, you've you been calling it for a couple of weeks. I've been a little bit more hesitant. I've said, yeah, I think they're going to stay in the top four, but you were right. And it hurts me to always say that you're right, but, it, you know, yeah, well, right. you're going to get your moment in a little bit. Oh, yeah. Okay, moving on. Let's, uh, let's talk about your guys, Chelsea. Chelsea finished fourth, and oh, man, did they stumble across the finish line. They, <laughs> it's funny. They lost to Leicester in the FA Cup final, so they missed out on that trophy. Then they did everything they could to try to not finish in the top four on the final day, losing to Aston Villa. Fortunately, Gareth Bale and Tottenham bailed them out. But um, overall, would you say, would this be a successful season for Tottenham? Or sorry, for Chelsea? Um, that's a tough question. So I think where we sat in December, yeah, it would be successful. Because at that point, everybody's calling for Frank Lampard's head. I mean, no one's playing well. At least they started to fashion together a little bit of offensive prowess. Obviously, this was not a game that showed any of that. But now they're in the Champions League final. They're guaranteed to go back to the Champions League next year. I do think that it's it's a success. And mm-hmm. I don't know that – I can't say whether – had Frank Lampard stayed on, whether they wouldn't have been in this position. Um, but, you know, they're Champions League bound. You know, that's that's all these clubs really want. I, particularly the clubs that have just been battling for the third and fourth spot for, you know, the past three months. So I, I would say that it is a success. And there, many of the issues that they had in the past, that being defensive and then in the goalkeeper position, seem to have been solved this year. And regardless of which manager was was at the helm, it was their offense that wasn't clicking. Obviously, they spent super heavily on their offense and very few of those, those moves worked in particular Timo Werner still wasn't great. Akeem Zayek wasn't great. Kai Havertz started to turn, um, make the turn at the end of the season. I thought he played pretty well down the stretch. Christian Pulisic had, I think a pretty good season for kind of the ups and downs that he had throughout, whether it was injury related or, or Tuchel coming in and not really giving him his, uh, his due chance. But uh, the past couple of weeks, he's been their best player. I think that there are are things that they can take away from the season that um, are positive, and they still got one game to game to play. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll give my take since you asked. <laughs> Assuming they lose the Champions League final, this is which my is take. a very fair assumption. Yeah, I mean, if if it, the fact is, if they win the Champions League, then it's an incredibly successful season. No ifs, ands, or buts. Right. Assuming that they lose, I would go ahead and say this season was, as a whole, a failure or a, a disappointing one because 
then take it next level if you view it as in halves. So the, the Lampard half was disappointing. Yep. The Tuchel half has been very successful. Mm-hmm. So if you want to look at it that way, yeah, sure. But I'm talking about the whole season. The whole season was a failure. You want to know why? Because they didn't make any progress. Last sure. year, they finished fourth. This year, they finished fourth. Last year, they finished with 67 points. Oh, sorry, last year they finished with 66 points. They then go and spend 250 million euros in the transfer window and were deemed the winners and were deemed the best challengers for Manchester, or I guess for Liverpool. Even they were, they were, people were saying that they had the best chance to win over Liverpool better than Manchester City. And that 250 million gained them one extra point this year. They went from 66 to 67 points. That's not good. Yeah. And I guess one further point to add to your thought, I think it part of the failure is that they had to fire a club legend. And that's embarrassing. That that was an embarrassment. And so my club would never I take do your that. point. I, I think I I as you alluded to, I was taking have been taking more the approach of looking at as two, two halves of the season, the second right. half, wild success under Tuchel, first half under Lampard, horrendous. But I, I, I get your point, I, and I, I think I take your point. Mm-hmm. Again, you're right. Thanks. I love that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, my epic rant of shitting on them could be all for nothing because they could they – could, they couldn't pull off the upset in the Champions League final. Crazier shit has happened in the Champions League final. So, um, obviously, we'll be looking for that. Okay, let's move on. This is ridiculous. Freaking Liverpool finished third place. And Ooh, I, I yeah. don't know how they pulled this off. Nor do I, but I'm happy they did. Because, Trevor, please tell, them, tell the listeners why a Chelsea fan is so pumped that Liverpool finished in third. Well, uh, a certain Chelsea fan made a bet with me that um, they would finish fifth or better. And I think, I can't remember, I think it's like eight Guinness or something like that on the line. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so we had a Guinness bet on this. And for most of the season, I looked like a genius because I called it when they were in, I think, third or fourth. I said Liverpool won't finish better than fifth. And then almost immediately after I made that claim, they dropped down to like eighth place or something like that. And they, you know, honestly, until like the last two weeks, we're in sixth place. And then yeah. freaking Chelsea and Leicester had to go and shit the bed. So, yeah, Liverpool, as awful of a season as it was for them, they somehow finished third which is, I mean, a boatload of credit to them. I think they, I mean, they could have had one of the worst seasons ever from a reigning championship team and they managed to turn it around. And I think a lot of people point their fingers at injuries and injuries were definitely a big part of it. They lost their best player, right? Virgil van Dyke is, if not their best player, their second best player. He's like the one A, one B and I would say the other one's Mohamed Salah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they had injuries. Big fucking deal. Everyone had injuries. So I thought that was kind of a lame excuse. I think what the problem oh, was... Man, is tough that, love. Well, here's the thing. I think it, they like to point to injuries, but Klopp made some major mistakes as far as how to handle sure. those injuries, right? He sure. moved their midfielders into as center backs because... They are obviously – I understand the thought process, and I'm, I'm on my high horse in hindsight. Like, that clearly was a huge mistake because not only then do you have a weekend center back position, you now weaken also your midfield. And their press is so good against teams that if you have a strong their, – their front three was healthy pretty much the whole season. If you have their front three healthy and then you have their, their ideal midfield – so many times the ball never gets to the back line to challenge them. So you can protect those inexperienced center backs by actually having a strong midfield, but instead they would move the midfield to the center backs. And then it was much easier for teams to play through that press. And 
it took Klopp way too long to identify that and to adjust. So it's not just injuries. It's also on Klopp. Klopp made mistakes and he, people aren't going to, people aren't going to highlight that because it's Klopp because he is a genius. He is probably currently the second best manager in the premier league. And um, he's one of the best managers in the world and he did have injuries to deal with and they still managed to finish third. So he won't, it probably won't get called out. So leave it up to the Manchester United fan to point that flaw into it. But I think overall Liverpool can call this a successful season because it was really grim for a long time and they still managed to finish third, which is just, I don't, I don't, I don't know how this happened. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I don't think I have anything to add to that. It, It, it was shocking to say the least. Yeah. So they got to feel good about it. They'll get Van Dyke back. They'll, they'll continue to invest in their squad. Klopp is fantastic at that. He's not the, he's not the type to sit and uh, you know, wait for team players to break down to, to bring new ones in. He brought in Jota last year, which was a fantastic signing. And um, I think Tiago in the final third of the season was finally getting his, uh, his feet set with the premier league. And I expect him to be a beast next year. And uh, sounds like they're about to sign the RB Leipzig center back to pair with Van Dyke. Most likely is it Konate? Yep. Um, and he's a beast of a young center back. So, you know, they're going to, they'll be back. Um, they're going to challenge for the title next year and uh, yeah. And probably make a good run in, in the champions league. So qualifying for champions league they gotta be happy all right let's move on to second place manchester united bones you go first i want an outsider's take on this i mean we've talked about manchester united essentially every week i think the listeners know what what we're gonna say i think that they're i I don't know i i think that they're there, as you know, glaring holes that need to be filled. I think that their front three, they really need to figure out what they're going to do, whether they're going to try to sell Martial, what do they do? Because you hate him as the number nine. He's, he's not a true nine. He didn't have a good year. But, you know, he, he's got a ton of potential. What do, what do you do? And Cavani, he had a great season, but, you know, he's, he's getting up there. So what is, what is their solution? I think that defensively they were okay down the stretch, but I still think that Lindelof and Maguire is not the correct pairing. I think Bailey needs Bailey needs to be in there, but you know, I I think this is very similar to the Mourinho year when they did finish second. It, it, it's a team that you know it's good enough, but it's not the most convincing number two team. I think that City is by by far the best team in in the league as as their point total and their position shows. But you know, United did enough to come in second, but they're just not to me. They're not a second place team, and I think that there's um, just they need to continue to make progress. And Ole's done a very good job of shedding some of the dead weight, but you know, continuing to do so is I think going to be high on on his to do list. How are they not a second place team? I in this this year's current current structure, I think there's a lot of teams that you know had their ups and downs. There wasn't I, so United was the best, the second best team in the league this year. But you know they could. I just feel like they didn't always show what you know their promise. I, I think that they still have a lot of issues that they need to work out, and they weren't ever really challenging city for that top spot. And because of that, I, I just think that a second place team should be challenging that first place team. And there, there was no challenge. Well, then there's no second place team period because no one was really challenging city. Okay. I'm fine I, with that. I will go ahead. I can argue toe to toe with anyone that Manchester United was better than Liverpool, better than Chelsea, better than Leicester. I don't, I don't think that there's any question about that. I just think that, in my mind, the second place team should be a challenger. Yeah. Listen, I, you're, you're entitled to your opinion, but I'll go ahead and say this. I agree that there's no team in the Premier League right now. First of all, this season was, okay, we're going to blend this with a Manchester City 
Manchester City finished in first, in case anyone was, was curious. Cliffhanger. Plot twist. Manchester City won. Manchester City or Manchester United came in second. The difference between Manchester City and the rest of this league is their depth. So I think Liverpool's healthy starting 11, Manchester United's healthy starting 11, and then maybe, maybe Chelsea's starting 11 can compete with Manchester City's starting 11. Toe-to-toe, single match. It was proven. Manchester United beat Manchester City this year. The, the difference is Manchester City's depth is second to none. They're, almost their entire backup would be – honestly, their entire backup squad is better than Chelsea's squad. They would, put, yeah, it's, it's, they would finish in fourth, maybe even third. They're, they're that deep, and that's because they've spent billions – on their squad over like years where they didn't need to buy a right back. They are sorry, a right wing. They would, they would spend 50 to 60 million on the backup. Like Mares, when he first joined the team, they spent 50 to 60 million on him and he didn't have a clear starting role. And for lots of the time this year, he didn't start like they didn't need to. And he would be the starting right winger on every other single team, except for Liverpool. Cause they have Salah. Right. It's just, mm-hmm. they were built because it was a COVID year, and if you're a top team in the, in the Premier League, you had a crazy schedule because there's a good chance you had a short offseason, there's a chance that you had no preseason, and then you had a game every three days. And that's when injuries piled up. It impacted these top four teams less than other teams because they're richer teams and they have better backup players. Like you saw the massive drop-offs for Everton. You saw the massive, massive drop-offs for Aston Villa. At, at what point those two teams were in the top four and um, city just was built. This was the perfect year for city to dominate, not only in, in the premier league, but also in champions league. And they're proving that like Bayern Munich on a fully healthy squad is a better team than probably Manchester city, but mm-hmm. they lost Lewandowski. And that's, I, yeah, he's older, but he doesn't really have an injury history, right? Yep. No, he's, he's you know, should, rarely misses matches. Yeah, it's just a brutal season schedule-wise, and people got hurt, and City City had their injuries too, and they could plug – like Kevin De Bruyne, their best player, got hurt. But what does that mean? They bring in Bernardo Silva to play in the midfield along with Gundogan, like, they, and they didn't drop – they didn't miss a beat, right? You lose your best player – if you're Liverpool, you lose your best player and then you might not finish in the top four. City, you lose your best player and you bring in someone that would be a starter on any other team. So City was just built perfectly for this season. They deserve to be the champions. I think they'll win Champions League and they deserve it too. I think next season, with a normal season that's easier to manage from an injury perspective, Manchester United, Liverpool, and Chelsea are all going to pressure Manchester City much more. I wouldn't be shocked if City doesn't win next year. I wouldn't be shocked if Liverpool has more of a season like last year. If Manchester United makes the right purchases, which is a massive if, I'm actually not hopeful, but that's because I'm pessimistic with the transfer windows we've had recently. They could easily win the league if they make the right decisions. And then Chelsea, honestly, is a true number nine away from being uh, a second-place team. Um, Yeah. I agree with all that. But that. yeah. So that was a really long rant to say that City won. Yeah, City won. <laughs> to finish up with Manchester United, as a Manchester United fan, I will say a little bit similar to Chelsea. I will I will say the season is a, a success because we locked up the second place position. We finished third last year, so in theory that is progress and especially with one of the hardest seasons schedule wise like that's pretty cool but if we don't win Europa League and I know Europa League is Europa League it's not Champions League but you were given an opportunity to win a trophy losing it does matter winning it would just be a cherry on top as far as like feeling good about taking another big step versus where we were we obviously have steps we need to make to actually challenge for the title. I'm not saying we're there right now, but I don't think we're terribly far off either. So got to win Europa League to call the season a success. And then for next season, they need to make the right purchases to, to make the real push for the title. 
Manchester City finishes first. I basically just gave them their spotlight. They they deserve it. Best team in the league. Even when they were in like tenth or twelfth in the first like five six weeks, it just you. I knew they were gonna. I think that's right when we started this podcast, and I picked them to win the league. Um, back then, they were just. Are you saying up. you're smart or something? I just knew that injuries were going to be a part of this season. Um, it, it just it, the schedule is just so stupid, and they obviously have the quality any given day, but it's also this is a marathon, and um, you know, without like a playoff system. It's really just about consistency week over week, and they were the best. So, yeah. And just to round that out, we'd like to give a a shout out to Mr. Sergio Kuhn Aguero, a club legend, probably the best player in Manchester City. Well, the best player in Manchester City history, one of the best players in Premier League history. He leaves the club. It looks like he's going to be signing with. Barcelona. That'll be an interesting move to see him pair up with his Argentinian compatriot, Leo Messi. You know, it's, it's a a sad day to see him go, but you know, even on his, in his last appearance for city, he nearly scores a hat trick. He gets a brace. uh, And I think he hit the post at least once brought made Pickford make uh, a number of good saves to, to keep him off of, um, off of the hat trick. But, um, Kudos to him for everything he's done for the Premier League. Yeah, I'm not gonna say anything about him. <laughs> wow. I gave, I've given guy. I've given him props in previous episodes. That's enough I can do. All right. Um, yeah, it's crazy he scored in his last game, but what do I mean? Not just once. He he was brought in with what thirty minutes? No, twenty minutes left, and he scores two, and it was dangerous on a number of other plays. Yeah. Well. Almost makes you think. Why wasn't he playing more often this year? Yeah. And now they're yep, now thinker. they're kicking him to the curb. Yeah. Just like Manchester City does, just gutless. <laughs> just kidding. Um, okay, so this episode was obviously a little bit longer than normal. It's also getting posted a little bit later than normal. Apologies for not on the heads up on that. Um, I think uh, the schedule is going to be a little bit altered because of well, to be honest, Bones and I need to figure out how we want to structure the uh, schedules and what we want to cover. It's been pretty easy playbook so far with the Premier League. Um, so I think the next episode you all should expect will be after uh, this coming weekend because we'd like to cover uh, what happens in the Europa League final, what happens in the Champions League final, which is on Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I believe. And then also we want to talk about the championship playoff. The uh, semifinals are now done. In case you didn't catch it, we recorded an episode covering this two episodes ago. Yeah, two ep- one episode. I don't know. It was the championship playoff special, something called like that. But uh, we basically broke down what it meant. It's a fantastic tournament. The final is, I believe, Saturday. No. I don't know what day it is. What day yeah, is it? I, th- I think it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Why would they do it the same day as the Champions League final? Champions know. League final on Sunday? No, it's on Saturday. Yeah, it's on a Saturday. Yeah. It always is. It's always on a Saturday. Yeah, I know. I'm going crazy. Come on. Go. I'm now I'm confusing the listeners. Uh, but, well, yeah, we'd want to talk about the championship final as well. Uh, it's going to be between Brentford and Swansea. And... I would recommend checking out the previous episode. We highlight all four teams that were involved. Brentford hasn't been in the Premier League or in the first division of the English uh, system in 75 years, about something like that. Uh, 70 plus, let's say that to be safe. So they're going into the final against Swansea. Swansea was last in the Premier League in 2018, I believe. So uh, pretty interesting. Huge money contracts from broadcasting rights are on the line. It's a, it's a massive game. Uh, so we basically have three finals to cover in our next episode. So keep an eye out for that for next week. And yeah, anything I'm missing bones? I don't think so, but, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't say thank you to all our listeners. It's been a great first premier league season and looking forward to, to the next. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we're going to keep episodes going. We just got to figure out how we're going to do them and what we want to cover. 
and make it worth it for you guys. And yeah. So with that being said, I normally drop this in the middle of the episode, but if you haven't yet, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, and share this with a friend. And again, I know we went long today. Hopefully it was useful. Um, Yeah. Great Premier League season. And that's about it. So for Bones, I'm Trevor. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.